0: And we are live for the First Strike Podcast. This is KYT. Before we start the show, plug our sponsor, facebasegames.com. The no more place to get your Magic of the Gathering singles. This week we got a sale on sealed products as well as sleeves, supplies. So get them now. And as well as, for the first time, eSports Central uh, using their stream room. Thanks to them to test things out and, and to show that, uh, I don't know, that we can stream and, and get people to watch this. Uh, especially since this weekend they're having um, a big event and I'm going to show it on, on the screen now. Hopefully it works. They're doing a whole day of uh, Hearthstone, Shadowverse, MTG arena, and you can go to esportscentral.com. I believe. Dot uh, CA rather to, to find out more information. And if you're a fan of any of these games, you should go come down here and, and check things out and for other stuff, people are here playing fighting games, League of Legends, uh, Fortnite. There's everything here. It's uh, the biggest esports place in Canada, so it's pretty sweet. But back to this show, we got a, a pack show, and I just wanted to have this set up to not my room, not my bedroom or anything, because it deserved an upgrade with the guests that I'm going to have on today. Uh, today, not only later on, we're going to have Sean Gifford, who finished top four at the latest mythic championship. But right now we've got something at someone that's been killing it, that's been crushing it this year. A Canadian, someone that uh, currently lives in Canada that I've never heard of, uh, which shocks me because I try to keep tabs on everyone good on in Canadian magic. I mean, Sean Dollywood skipped my radar a bit and I found out you know, he was he was the best player west of North York as, as Elliot would later inform me. Now we've got Dom Harvey crushing it Top of the SCG leaderboard, just won the latest SCG with Mono Green Shrine. Just absolutely killing it. And so I'm really excited and really happy to have him on the show. So welcome to the show, Dom.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. And in your defense, I haven't been in Canada for that long. And usually if I'm going to Magic Tournaments it's in the US, so I'm not even here to be winning at Magic uh, in my own country. But uh, it's it's good to be here. I didn't realize Sean was gonna be on this episode as well, so I'm not even the most illustrious guest on my own episode, but I'll No take no it. no, he's not coming, he's not coming <laughs> on. Yeah.
0: He's not coming on, don't worry. Um so, so you told me right before something like I I talked about it on, on my table for two podcasts with Alex. I was like, I, I heard about this Dom Hart guy. He's completely, he's a Canadian. It's completely crushing it, but I don't mean to snub him. I just don't invite people I don't really know on the show. And because uh, I'm generally a, a really shy guy, despite uh, trying to do all these things, trying to do these podcasts. I mean, you don't need to be not outgoing and to do social media where you're just making posts and stuff. Uh, so tell us more about your start. Like, Where, where do you actually come from?
1: Uh, So as you might be able to tell from the accent, I come from the UK initially, I moved over here about 10 months ago now, and when I moved, I wasn't sure how much Magic I was really going to be playing. I thought either I would, it would really take a backseat in my life and I'd have other things going on, or I would just double down on it because it's a great way to to meet new people and it's a good time sink, you know, when I don't have any other commitments uh, at first. And I I was playing a bunch of local staff at at FaZe here in Toronto and doing pretty well there. And so that... Got the attention of some other people, and then uh, they invited me, uh, specifically Tara Patel invited me to play the Team Open with him, also in Columbus, at the beginning of the year. Uh, we made the finals there, for some reason decided to go to the Open next week, even though uh, th- th- there was a face IQ here, a 5k that also awarded SEG points, half an hour away, and instead we just drove 9 hours to Boston for the SEG. Um So poor decision, end up getting rewarded for that when I won that. And so that just set off this whole chain of events where I was just going through everything and then that just kept like compounding on itself. And so now, uh, yeah, I I ended up here.
0: Is it surreal that you've done so well uh, this year?
1: Yeah, it is really, I wouldn't say unexpected completely. Um, But because you hear from the outside about how soft the SDGs supposedly are and I don't think that's really a constructive conversation. That's usually a way to just denigrate other people's achievements and, you know, trying to knock other people down to to raise yourself up. Um, But that, I guess that did leave an impression on me because I did think that, you know, I'm not sure how tough these tournaments are really going to be compared to to GPs or or to other uh, tournaments. And I guess now that I'm doing well at them, I want to turn around and say that actually they're the toughest tournaments in the land. And, you know, winning those is a real sign of your uh, skill as a player. But, um, it's you understand the game is a oh, the magic is a game with a lot of variance involved, and that people do go on these seemingly inexplicable runs or heaters where it seems like they just are unstoppable for a period, and then that drops off, and it seems like they can't win a match for a few months. So I've had both sides of that over the past uh, eight months doing all of this, but um, yeah, I, I don't I didn't expect to be here just in this position at all with this level of success, and it's, I'm still trying to process it and wrap my head around it.
0: So where are you now in terms of uh, your, your Mythic Championship uh, aspirations? Do you have, do you have any?
1: Uh, I guess. I mean it's, it's tough to have aspirations for something which seemingly is either not going to exist uh, in a few months or you don't know what form it's going to exist in. Uh, and the path to qualifying for it seems to be more and more opaque. You have these MCQs that are coming back now and uh, GPs now seem to be glorified MCQs effectively. Um, so I mean I, I would love to get another shot at that. Um, but it's it's not my focus at this point. And I, I mean, I'll be playing an MCQ this weekend and I'll be playing other MCQs here and when as I can, um, but it's not like this all consuming gold for me magic now that I have this other circuit to be focusing on.
0: Yeah, number number one on the leaderboard. Uh, so, so let's get get down to the deck you played uh, this past weekend. Uh, have you been playing model green Sean a lot before or was this a uh, fairly last week, last minute type of decision?
1: Uh, So I played Tron in exactly one tournament, and that was a GP in Barcelona actually last year where I was out of the tournament very quickly, got to go and explore the city, which is fine because Barcelona is my favorite city in the world, uh, but would have preferred to at least get a few wins under my belt first. Uh, So that experience was not too encouraging. But going into this weekend, it just seemed like the deck was very well positioned. No one was talking about it. Nobody was prepared for it. And you could kind of understand that given the assumptions they were making. Like, if you think the deck is fundamentally just untenable against Hogak, then you, you have to look elsewhere because that's, that's a litmus test for the format at the moment. Uh, but I thought that matchup was salvageable or at least fairly close. Um, and once you lock that in, everything else just kind of falls into place. Like, so you look at all of the other decks that people are playing, basically. The only tough one is uh, Burn, or, I guess, Mono Red Phoenix. But everything else, you look at John, Blue-White, Urza... All of these other things that people are picking, Eldrazi Tron, all of these decks that are increasing in popularity at the moment, Tron just crushes all of them. And th- th- those are good matchups anyway. They can, they, they do have counterplay. So against Jun, for instance, if they have a bunch of trophies and formulator mages and-, and other ways to interact with you, maybe collector moves, stuff like that, then that can be a difficult matchup. But people just aren't playing their scars at the moment. Uh, and in part, that's because you have to devote so much cyborg space to Hogak and the graveyard decks uh, that you just don't have room and it's it's easy to imagine someone sitting down on friday night before the tournament thinking i need room for this this fourth laydown in the void or this this additional rest in peace NASP or whatever and cutting their their stony silence or their damping sphere just because what are those cards even targeting right now other than tron which is maybe three or four percent uh, of the format um so just looking at that it felt like this was a good weekend for Tron to take people completely by surprise. Uh, and so when I saw how well uh, Thoral Seven was doing, he would end up winning the whole thing in Barcelona uh, and Christian Howard and a few other people on day one, that, that put my mind at ease. Actually, maybe I, I was under something here and we were on the same page.
0: All right. I'm just, I'm going to go to, to our, uh, local. Well, I, I mean, former best modern player on the cast, Jonathan Zhang, how's it going? Um, what what do you think of what uh, Dom just said about uh, Model Green and his choice of how how it lined up great for him?
2: Honestly, I wasn't really too high on it at first. Like if you if you recall here our conversation with like Al- Alex Hayne maybe like a week before the um, the PT here. Like um, my thesis was that like yeah, Hogak's going to be good. Um, I don't think it was going to be a secret even before the um, canister run, the twelve hour run here. I think that obviously like propelled it, like added like a few percentage points, like um, with just with that visibility, right? But like we talked to Alex, like I wasn't really high. He he was on Tron. I wasn't really high on Tron, but I was high on like and, and Big Mana in general. Like I I agree with most of what uh, Dom said, and uh, Big Mana that can deal with uh, Hogak and like Dredge and like all these like humans. Uh, all these like other decks because I think big mana is uh, I think theoretically is favored in all the other top matchups or like a lot of the top matchups so if you can have a big mana deck that can crush other big mana as well as um, ha- uh, salvage a 40 60 or 45 60 uh, 55 matchup with them um, H- hogak that was like my, my starting point so I, I do like the um, the the line of thinking here tangram's the friend of the podcast I'm um, also uh, top aided the uh, the online uh, PTQ with um, four layline um, Tron as well, so uh, it's nice to see like a few of the uh, top uh, online and like paper ringers uh, get, uh, arrive at the same conclusion. So, like I personally would have gone with Valket with like similar um, configuration in like beating uh, Hogak, but I can't like really can't complain <laughs> with like the uh, Tron choice and how it given the how it did very well this weekend.
1: Yeah, there was, uh, in the top 16 at the Open this weekend, there was a Breach Radical list that looked really impressive to me. And I, I would tinker with some of the numbers there, but just that that choice seemed pretty inspired uh, because you're fast enough to race Hogak and race some of the other decks. You're naturally good against things like John and Aljazeitron still, uh, but also you, you have these better sideboard options maybe, uh, which let you kind of bob and weave around the other big mana decks. So yeah, I think that's just a good place to be in general. Uh, I don't think Amulet is that good right now, but it was still crushing with it for most of the tournament anyway, so maybe that's worth another look. So I think that's, that family of decks is a pretty good spot to be in at the moment.
0: All right, Elliot, I'm gonna get you in here, because uh, earlier this week, you, you messaged our, our First Strike host show. Are we getting honorary Canadian Dom Harvey this week? I don't know if he built his Tron list or someone else did, but it's big brain. I played it in the MCQ yesterday, lost my last round in the mirror to Miss Cash, Ended up 4-1 against Hogak between the MCU and two leagues with that. So, so the floor is yours to ask To ask the man any questions you may have.
3: Yeah, so I ended up playing the list that you'd posted on the Team Nova Patreon, uh, which was an earlier iteration that included Karin, the great creator. Um, and the reason I called it big brain is because for those who are watching the PT coverage this weekend, you'll remember that uh, one of the big news stories, especially revolving around Terrell Severin and the German players who were playing no Car in the Great Creator was that, you know, it's genius of them to cut this this very obvious powerful Tron card and favor to free up cyborg uh, sideboard slots for Leyline of the Void. And what Dom's initial list ended up having was both Car in the Great Creator and Leyline of the Void. I think they're in the sideboard there was like two nature's claims and uh some dismembers and that those were the only cards you would reasonably board in ever the rest of the cards were either Leyline of the voids for for hogak or um the artifact package for Karn the great creator (coughs) and uh that was something that i was really interested in and like as you know i i'd kind of decided i was looking to play tron because of how well it was doing at the pro tour um and seeing that kind of like sold me on it so I actually didn't know when I had played the event and sent that message to to Kara and our, our host chat that Dom had ended up cutting Car in the Great Creator. So I was I was really shocked by that when I ended up learning it. And I'm curious what your rationale behind that is because in those five matches I played against Hogak, I think the best card in my deck was the Instaring Bridge in my sideboard. So, you know, like, obviously you beat Hogak in the tournament. Like, how, how did you do it without Instaring Bridge? You just don't have time, I found.
1: Yeah, uh, that was a fairly late decision for me. So, when I was putting out the call to borrow Khan to the deck, I asked to borrow a list that had the Khan the Great Creator in it and uh, that whole package. I uh, ended up cutting it fairly late on Friday night. wasn't sh- uh, completely sure about the decision, but basically, my reasoning was that Tron doesn't tend to cyborg a lot, but the cyborg counselor does have a fairly high impact, and you often want to draw them in the matchup. Uh, so, even stuff like Dismember or Nature's Claim or Veil or of or Summer, which I had and which really overperformed for me. They seem fairly innocuous, but when you draw them, I found they have a really big impact on those games. And Khan eating up half of your sideboard was just too big a cost to bear, I think. And and Khan obviously is a great card, um, but this deck is also not that great at defending it. So I I love to bag on Eldrazi Tron, but the one benefit of that over classic Tron, I think, is that you know you have like more Walking blisters, more matter Shapers. You you can play something into a Khan and defend it for a turn and then uh, snap the window uh, shut. Whereas in this deck, often, uh, from what I heard from other Tron pilots who are more experienced, you would play Khan, you would minus it, you would get whatever your target was, and then Khan would just die. So it was basically a four of wish, uh, and that, that just didn't seem uh, reliable enough. And I think against Hogak in particular, yeah, Khan being able to fetch either Tormor's Crypt or a Snaring Bridge is, is a big deal. Uh, but main deck Assassin's Trophy is becoming stock these days, so that doesn't even permanently lock them out. And what I found too was that if your hand is clogged with other payoffs, if you've taken enough damage early on, you could still just die to, let's say, a carrion feeder, attacking, sneaking under the bridge, and then just sacking everything to deal the last points of damage. Um, so when I was talking to myself into playing Tron, and specifically into playing Tron with the new Khan, my reasoning was that Khan was this reliable payoff card where in the past you could assemble Tron on turn three, but if you had a one-call engine where you needed big Khan, or if you had big Khan where you needed a engine or vice versa with whatever the other payoffs were, then you could still lose the game. Whereas uh, Khan the Great Creator seemed like a more reliable payoff for each uh, end of that. But that just didn't seem to be the way I played out in practice. And it's, it's obviously hard to answer that hypothetical of if I could go back and play the tournament with uh, the list I posted with the new Khan, like how would I have done instead? Um, but I didn't feel like I, I missed it over the course of the weekend, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, it totally makes sense. I like I basically my big question is is how is the Hogak matchup without it? Like do you find that you're you're giving up a lot more game ones, not having access to bridge, which is you know, maybe not potentially totally locking them out with the main deck assassin's trophy becoming a thing, like you said, but at least buying you some more time.
1: Yeah, I think if you can get to the point where you can stick like a one engine or an Ugin or one of these other big payoffs. And that's, that's usually enough. If you had anything else going on before then. Uh, so I, I, there was a really interesting spot in the top four where I'm on four and my hand was, it had two trump pieces, map, and then Khan Liberated and Record presenters. And I chose to bottom the Khan along with, uh, two other cars. so my reasoning was that against the top end of his draws, even turn three calm, probably it's not going to be good enough. Like it's just, it's going to minus on something and then die to revenge, try and hit or or something else. Uh, Whereas Relic is guaranteed to at least buy me some time and then I have more payoffs in the deck to draw towards versus if I'm essentially shoving all in on this calm then I don't know how well that's going to work out. Um, So Relic I found buys you a ton of time. I had four Rumpel engine, which is a a departure from some of the other lists, but I figured it's your best threat against so many decks, but in particular against Hovergap where unless they have exactly Carrion Feeder, that can brick wall even some of their more impressive board states. Um, and then once you get up to Ostern and Ugin and so on, then it, it is really hard for them to come back. What I think I would have liked is either a Paducah Bog or a Scavenger Grounds somewhere the 75, because it, it would often come up that I would have a window to do something and I'd have a redundant map or Silver scrying, and just being able to lock out that graveyard would be one crucial step towards locking the game up, and I just wasn't able to do that. Um, so and in addition Leyline was not actually that good against them in my experience um, yeah, as I said main deck trophies becoming stock they're all boarding in more trophies force of bigger nature's claim so it's hard to keep a Leyline on the board and if your 7 is is pretty dodgy but it has a Leyline there's no guarantee that that's going to win the game by itself and then even if you stick it one thing I didn't appreciate until playing against it in the tournament was that say the Wayfinder is actually very good against Leyline and on the face of it, it there's no reason why that would be true right it's just a one run it's gonna mill four cards that doesn't seem that impressive but the main way that they beat you when you have a ley line is just by hard a bench right on time and wayfinder makes it that so much more consistent um and that's how i lost second game of the finals like i was a game up saw a decent handle two ley lines and thought i might have it sewn up um but then i just missed on tron for a few turns he wayfinded into the second green source for ley line on t- for a benchline on turn four and i just died in a few uh, a few turns later so um, I I think going forward, maybe one of those lands and a mixture of surge extraction or ravenous trap might be the way to go. Um, you could also look at torment script or cage because you can stow and spoil them, but those run into the same problems that you have with leyline, where just anything that's sitting on the board, they can, uh, especially torment script, they can play around that a lot of the time, and then even if they can't, they can blow it up at the right moment, and then you're you're left defenseless. So that that might be the change I'd make. But I think the hook matchup is fine-ish. If I expected a field full of Hogak, I would probably play something else, either just Hogak itself with main deck Ley Lines or Urza or one of these decks, which is better position there. Um, But my reasoning was, if I can make the match up at least close, maybe I'll go like 2-1 or 2-2 against it. And then if I'm sweeping up everything else, that's still a fine spot to play in.
3: That's really interesting because like going forward from, you know, I played 19 matches with the deck total. I played two leagues in the MCQ and after after my results, I I almost felt like playing the deck because of Hogak. I felt like I was winning a lot, but definitely these adjustments that they've made, it's certainly sketchier going forward. But it's it's my first choice uh, for an MCQ I have this next weekend. So um, you know I, I'm looking forward to seeing how other people iterate on it. I I know that uh, you've posted an updated sideboard guide in the Nova Discord. So if people are looking for that, I'm sure they can go there pay their $3 to Rudy Brixa and, and get that information.
1: Yeah, the thing that planted that seed for me initially was uh, when we won the team open in Pittsburgh, one of the teams we played against had a Trondike on that team in, in the same seat as me. And when he, he led on like, Tronland into map, I thought, okay, this seemed like a pretty good matchup. And even with that build of the deck, there was a lot better because you have the the Ultra Dementia combo and you can, you can kill them a lot faster outside of combat. It still felt surprisingly difficult. Like my, my Hand in Game 1 was not that great he just had turn three Tron with a relic and I died. Uh, and then post-board he had Leyline, ley line and I, my resources were really stretched thin between trying to like find a whisper for the ley line and just doing anything in the game so that I wouldn't just die to a turn five uh, Ugin or Ulamog or something. Um, so that showed me that my assumptions about that matchup might be incorrect. And so once again, like once that domino fell down all the rest followed after that.
0: John, John any any last thoughts? this uh, stuff affected how how you would approach uh, any upcoming mcq because i know you suffered uh, from uh, a enormous dose of uh, fomo so uh, after watching mc seeing other people battle feeling like you could crush them with with your experience and knowledge so where, where's your brain at
2: boy i tell you like I, I liked watching the these great players incorporate these great cards from the new new sets but i wish i was there to turn one people and that like shove some Allosaurus riders down their throat, but um, that's neither here nor there. Um, I think Hogiak's going to be. It's probably it's probably just gonna get banned in the August twenty eighth, DNR, and until then, like I, I I just think that it just like looks really bad on them. The emergency ban the next week and all that. So my expectation is that um, Hogark's just going to be there. Um, for the next month or so and you, like if you are playing in any comp REL events whether it's an MCQ or Grand Prix Vegas Or Grand Prix Minneapolis or any sort city games events you just, you gotta accept it And you gotta have a real plan for it uh, now in paper. I, I I Don't want people to get a distorted view on uh, Hogak's uh, metagame share because one pro tour field is always going to be a bit more spiky and a bit more um, focused and like, just pe- people are have been asking me like, can you main deck Leyline? And, and you just simply can't do that. Like, that's simply not acceptable. In a in, in a in a field that's open and that doesn't have open deck lists. However, I still expect like whole GAC to be like 15 percent, uh, maybe a bit more. Um, in, in terms of the, any Grand Prix field uh, fields, that's, uh, for example, like the Grand Prix Vegas, uh, in like few weeks or the um uh, MCQ that I'll be going to this weekend. I. I expect, fully expect that to be 10-15%. Uh, but it's still modern, and it's going to be very flat after Hogak. Like, if you look at past the 20% uh, mark, uh, market share that Hogak had, everything was like 10%, 9%, 8%, 9%. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my, my advice is, like play, like, play, like, a really fast combo, like, um, you know, Cheerios, uh, Storm, Infect, Allosaurus Rider, or uh, play a big mana deck that can trump other, like, mid-range decks or like that's like human that can also trump other big mana strategies like Valakid, with a like a distinct plan for Hogak Because this is kind of like uh, Eldrazi Winter In my opinion, it's not as bad as Eldrazi Winter since like it, it folds to or it, It's weak to a very common form of hate unlike Eldrazi which pretty much was like You know li- like faster combo living end or like a staring bridge So have, have like a real plan against them and play like a proactive deck, so big mana or combo—that's where I'm at.
0: All right, that's fair. Okay, um, let's let's talk about something else uh, other than the deck. About you, Dom, uh, can you tell me about uh, this Team Nova? How you got on it? What's all about? Give us a, uh, the the lowdown.
1: Yeah, so I joined Team Over just for this the second season of the SEG Tour after uh, Pittsburgh. Rudy approached me there, and uh, we locked that in fairly quickly. And if you this comes across a lot, I think if you watch the coverage, but especially if you're at these events, it's just a sea of people in brightly colored jerseys. You know, there are so many SEG teams, uh, so many like informal squads, and you never quite know if it's a real team in the sense of the people like. All know each other and, and have this good dynamic and they, they test together and it's, it's really this refined process or if it's just they all play at the same store and so their sponsor decide to give them a jersey you know you it, you never know which end of the spectrum things reside on and for a lot of the major teams I think I think it's safe to say that Nova and Lettersbox are the two big teams on the tour at this point um, there is this there's this friendly rivalry I will say I mean we all and there's a lot of drama on the SG tour, uh, that you, <laughs> which you can kind of follow from afar on Twitter, if you like. But yeah. <laughs> people, people get along and are fine with each other. Um, but it does create this interesting sense of like camaraderie, where, where there is now this extra stakes, if you like, of like you see them doing well at an event, and you're cheering for something higher than yourself. It's not just hoping that a friend wins their match. It's like you're all part of this higher purpose, if you like. So that's, as someone who is not really a sports guy, like I didn't follow that extensively, now that I'm on a, a team of sorts, you, you get into that, that tribal mindset a little bit more. You can understand how that fandom comes together.
0: So, so who are some of the members on, on the team? Uh,
1: so there's... See, I'm going to put out the list because if I try and do it from memory, I'm going to forget someone and then that's 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 not going to be good. <laughs> uh, so I'll, <laughs> I'll do that now while I'm filling the dead air here. Um, but there's, so there's, there's me, there's Drake Sasser, Harlan Fearer, Aaron Barrich, um, Adi Warfield, uh, Jess Essafan, the members joining us for the season. It's a little hard for her to make it out for events living in Australia, but uh, you know, we're, we're hoping that she can uh, come to the side of, of things at some point. Then you've got uh, Matt Dilks, you know, Canadian sensation, already qualified for, for the player championship, um, and Chad Harney. And then Rudy's our, our team manager who isn't able to make it out to, uh, as many tournaments nowadays, but he's always uh, overseeing things from behind the scenes and uh, ripping us into shape.
0: Uh, so how how's, did the team work on this deck with you for, for this last one?
1: I, I think – so when it comes to modern, in particular, we mostly kind of do our own thing. So okay. – Uh, Dilks has been playing Amulet for years, uh, ventured into Odrazi Tron, and, you know, he's he's trying out some other things. Harlan has back-to-back-to-back top 8s with this Urza deck now, so he's been swearing by that, and I'm going to have to try that out myself because it's it's hard to argue with his results. Um, And then, like, Drake has been playing Phoenix forever. Uh, Aaron is maybe the, if not one of the, best Infect players in the entire world, so everyone kind of has their own thing that they do, and so... It's not like we really collaborate on deck selection in that sense, but if you're interested in in playing Urza or you're interested in playing Infect, then we have the best people that you can ask for uh, to to go to for advice.
0: That's pretty sweet. That's pretty sweet. Um, Well, going back to the beginning, you said the first person you teamed with was was Tarek Patel? Yeah. Where's he? Is he on any team? He he was doing well. He was on a run himself, I think, earlier this
1: year. Well, the stakes were higher in season one for Tarek because he was starting his residency, his medical residency down in Florida. So that's where he's at now working these 80, 90 hour weeks. No real time, So he will be hopping up to the East Coast for, for opens. So he really had to qualify then or, or not at all. And, and sadly, both of us missed. Uh, but I, I get the second shot at it now and I'm trying to make the most of it.
0: So what's next with you, Dom? What's the upcoming SCG uh, that, that you have to head to and Crush?
1: Uh, So there's the the team open in Richmond in a few weeks, uh, standard modern legacy. I I imagine I'll be in the modern seat there yet again because that seems to be the only format I know how to do well in, but that's fine because basically all the opens from this point are modern, so I have a a, a clean shot at that. Um, And then there's a bit of a break. There's the obligatory legacy open of the season in Syracuse, which uh, I need to really sink my teeth into into legacy for. And again, luckily, we have Dilks on the team, legacy specialists, you know, Basically, no better source of advice. Uh, Harlan and Rudy play a Electric of Legacy, too. So uh, I imagine we'll be all hands on deck trying to prepare for that one. Um, and then it's, you know, there's Modern Regionals, a few Modern Opens, and then the Invitational, and hopefully, for me, uh, the Players' Championship in December.
0: Sweet, man. It's a lot, lot – lots of stuff to look forward to, lots of things at stake for you. Um, any questions for Dom, guys? Any other – did you have – Join.
2: Yeah, I'm just curious, Dom. Like I was looking at your goldfish and you know, I know you had like a wide range already because like I somehow like put, put Winky into playing Boreal's Vengeance <laughs> and like uh, somehow you did well with this, like that's kind of weird. You, you've,
1: but- you've already baited me into playing Neoformer one of these upcoming corners. <laughs> so just control yourself. You, you have a lot of power here.
2: Man, so much Twitter clout. But, but like I'm looking at your Goldfish, right? You have like a finish with Ironworks, Amulet, like the um, War Prison, Boreal's Vengeance, like Bridgevine and now Tron. Like clearly like you have like a pr- pretty like wide range in modern at the very least. Like I'm like a pretty like adept player in like in general here. Like what, what's your like deck selection, like philosophy, or right? I you just like a best deck kind of guy? I just like, you feel like memeing sometime and so you will meme or like, like what's your thinking? <laughs>
1: I'm definitely not a best decks kind of guy, I, I'm often just playing meme decks, and sometimes those align with what the best deck is, which is pretty fortunate for me. Um, but if you look at all of those decks, the, the unifying theme, I would say, is that they just attack from an angle that people aren't expecting, and they're very good at what they do. So like Amulet, KCI, Hogak, Boris Vengeance, even World Prison, like that, that seems like the odd man out there, or the black sheep of that family, but it's, the format was not prepared for it at that time, it has a clear plan, It's proactive in the sense that it still takes 20 turns to win, maybe, but it locks the game up on turn four or five where you just find the one thing that your opponent can't answer and you have a bunch of ways to find that and and lock the game up. Uh, What you won't see on that list is stuff like, you know, John, dress Guy, Blue White. Um, Not that I have some, like, ideological stance against those decks. It's just that those aren't really my style, at least anymore. Like, back in 2006 or whatever, I was that guy at your LGS who would just play Control every week and even when it was bad, just... Find an excuse to play it regardless, but now it's kind of flipped around. I'm I'm the combo guy and that's that's my thing. That's my shit. Um, so that that seems to be my specialty, but I'm definitely open to moving back to like if I think John did the best act for a tournament, I will try John because you know I, I need to have that as part of my range. Uh, fair dream right. <laughs> dream
0: Man, don Don, do you actually listen to John? Like how much do you listen? Because like uh, we, uh, well I, I didn't see that on the stream. I muted myself. Um, I, I was saying I was asking Dom like, how much does he listen to John? It sounds like uh, there's some there's some bit of credit that you're giving to John. And I'm I'm only asking this because Elliot had an all access all access cabal pass, and he thought about rescinding it. So um,
1: yeah, I, I think it's it's more of like we're a mutual hype men for each other at this point. Um, <laughs> But he does get in my ear sometimes, like, "Hey, I have just five out of league with Neoform, I five out of league with Borias Ventures, and I just take the bait because I, I have no self control."
0: <laughs> Elliot, are you back on the Cabal train? What's going on, man?
3: Look, there's still a lot of chatting going on in the Bring the Light scapeshift group chat. Uh, not a lot of it at this point is for is for Bring the Light, but I mean, John keeps like posting these Allosaurus Rider like five O's, and I just I don't want to go there. I don't want to get involved again. My heart can't handle it. Maybe, maybe if John registered like Thoughtseize for a tournament, then like, I'd then I'd know that like this deck's got to be the real deal. But any deck that's like trying to win on turn three in John's hands is just got to be garbage. No one fall for it.
1: <laughs> I mean, if, if the format becomes Tron versus Hogak, and I played my small part in that, then what better deck than Neoform? You know.
2: Yeah, two small things here. I will say that it seems like a meme, but if you look at the top decks in, in, in at the uh, bar, bar, Barcelona, like most of the decks are very good, are very weak against like Neoform. Like you can you can outrace it, and there's like very little like grass diggers case now that people have to move to hard, hard hate like Leyla in the Void, for example. So like I I do mean it when I when I think the Neoform is well positioned. Um, yeah, and like uh, BTL, um, I know there, there's been a few people that have been asking about it, uh, fans of the podcast. Um, I think like we, we were all high on it um, leading up to the um, the, sun, the Saturday challenge that Canister ran, and we kind of like it's kind of started to dawn on us that Hogak's gonna be well m- way more represented than like we thought it was gonna be, and we just couldn't beat Turn 2 Hogak. And if Turbo Hogak's going to be um, producing a Turn 2 Hogak maybe like half time, then like it's just not an acceptable deck to just. Uh, to play, considering especially considering that it doesn't have a good matchup against Blue-White either, I don't think. So um, even though friend of the podcast, Matt Stein, who actually got a deck tech with uh, Rally Knight, it was pretty cool, at uh, PT Barcelona, he picked it. He was one of three people that picked it, but um, if it were me, it probably it's probably not very well presented right now, and I'm not very inclined to um, uh, explore it until Hogak's banned. But once it gets banned, I think it has a lot of potential. So that's where I'm at.
1: Yeah, I, I I hope the format soon moves back to a point where that act like, is good because it's super sweet. And it's it's basically just nitpick and mod. You can just put whatever you want into it and and come up with a, a rationalization for why it's a, a smart choice. Um, but yeah, right now I don't think it's the time. I, like if it, it's depressing the the next few weeks of like there's there's an open and a GP and a, a whole bunch of MCQs that will just be swallowed up by the Hogak Menace before it gets banned. Um, but that's, that's about relevant, and you, you have to adjust to that.
0: Andy, Andy, you've been you've been a uh, staunch opponent, I guess, to John's idea. So, so how do you feel right now?
4: So J- John looks at all the top decks and goes, wow, look at all these good decks that are bad against uh, my bad deck. <laughs> and, like, the thing that I understand is, like, oh, maybe these decks aren't that good against your deck, but your deck's not that good. <laughs> I do think uh, – It's possible that the deck could break out, but I don't think so. Like, there's not even any hate being played for, and it still ain't breaking out yet. So that's kind of why I think that it's just not quite good enough. It's like the Gristrol brand before, where it's, like, super fast. It might be good in a metagame, but the deck's not as consistent as it needs to be.
0: That's fair. Um, I mean, I
1: I will say that one deck that gets a lot better with the London Mulligan under the same principle is Buryer's Vengeance. So, I don't know, we might have to revisit that old flame again. <laughs> At
4: least that one plays Faithless Looting, which is like an inherently powerful card and not Chancellor of the Tangle.
1: <laughs> I mean, you could you could just play both and then discard your chances to your looting. Yeah, that, that's a combo. Right? You yeah, don't right? need these anymore. <laughs>
3: Wow! Reveal two Chancellor of the Tangles, Manamorphos. Cast two Faith sludgings. That's busted. Bring back Arclay Phoenix.
1: Oh! Oh my God! We've got a deck brewing. We can we can summon this patch for Panther and then patch triggers helps trigger, trigger Phoenix. I think yeah, we're, we might be onto something here. Yeah.
4: You can also neoform the Phoenix away for I don't know what.
3: <laughs> I don't know a Golos. It'll it hug. seems like we're It'll, five yeah. colors. So.
0: Oh man. We troll John a lot, but uh, and he had a great time, and I had a great time listening to his appearance on Humans of Magic with James Shu. Awesome podcast that I recommend anyone listening to learn more about John's background. I had no idea he lived in Japan for more than a few years, and no understands Japanese, knows how to converse Japanese. So lots of uh, fun facts about John on that show. Uh, with that said, Dom, any last uh, words? Anybody want to thank, plug? Uh, floor's all yours. man.
1: Uh, so obviously, Tina over Discord, hop in there, get all of the latest cutting Edge technology and memes and, you know, everything else besides. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I don't really have anyone else specific to plug. I mean, I'm very thankful to everyone yeah, here in yeah, Toronto yeah. who has kind of enabled and supported me throughout this entire process. And all the people just like, including people I've never met before, just random Twitter folk who have been really supportive. Um, And, you know, that's, to me, that's one of the best parts of this whole experience. Like, it's not just winning a tournament, it's the reaction to you winning a tournament. Uh, So that's always been pretty heartening. But yeah, I mean, if there are any final questions for me, I'll I'll happily take anything there from the floor.
3: So I'll say, we've kind of been lobbing them up to you. You know, you won a tournament. We're here to pat you on the back, tell your story. I want to know, you can make some enemies with this answer. Should Hogak be emergency banned?
1: Yes. I mean, I, I would emergency ban it. Um... It's it's just such a bad look when you've scheduled a whole bunch of modern tournaments for the next month, specifically this month. And this is the one time where you don't have a window to fix your early mistake and ban Hogak. Um, So there's definitely a cost to emergency banning things just on principle, like it sets bad expectations and precedent and so on, but you just have to do it, I think. Like there's, it's... This is a mistake that they brought on themselves by not banning Hogak instead of Bridge. And I I kind of agree with, you know, friend of the show... and occasional host, Brian Gottlieb, saying that banning bridge might actually make made the deck better like in the abstract and also for its positioning in the format. Because um, you would get a ton of clunky hands before where you would just have like a, an altar and a bridge and then like a gravecrawler and a blood glass or something and it was just, it was garbage, right? You just couldn't keep any of that. Whereas now the deck, all the pieces fit together a little more coherently, and you don't have this extra angle of attack which made the deck a lot better. But the the main plan of the deck is even scarier now somehow. Um, so, yeah, I, I would just ban the deck. I it's not a great situation. There's no good decision here, but that's clearly the best one in my view.
0: Makes a lot of sense. Uh, and with that done, thank you so much for coming on. I, I hope we we'll get you on another time soon. I get, I get to cross you, your name off the list. I have people that best player I have yet, best Canadian player I have yet to talk to. Sean Daliwal, Dom Harvey, done, and hope uh, for you to come back. Uh, So good luck on continuing to crush the SCG circuit.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. All
0: right, that was Dom Harvey with just one most recent SCG Open. I will try to get Sean Gifford on right now. And, uh, I mean, Andy, can you ramble uh, a bit?
4: (laughs) Oh, I got some rambling to do. I was just thinking about how you mentioned, like, the best Canadian not – Yet been on the show. It's like uh, reminded me of the old, uh the old days when we would always like talk about the best Canadian who hasn't like qualified for a pro tour yet. I wonder who the current best Canadian not not to have been on the show is. <laughs> I mean, I Un, think it's going to be officially Phil,
0: Phil 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 Sam's
4: <laughs> Phil Sam's. Well, he, he doesn't want to be on the show. We invite him constantly. <laughs> he won't come on.
0: That's not true. Um but it, but yeah that was just it was a thing back then. I mean it's fun It's it's the reason why despite John not liking it as much as we do shows like First Take well. People love to debate who's the best player on the NBA, who's the best quarterback in in the NFL and they could debate it every day and still get ratings. Like people my, doesn't get tired.
4: My favorite is everyone's like Tom brady's the best quarterback, but but uh but Aaron Rodgers he's the best quarterback <laughs> yeah. like they just say it a little different but they mean the same thing and they constantly do that kind of stuff they're like well he's got the best arm in football and like he's got the best uh play calling in football for quarterback they just like call it different things and they do the same thing in the nba like kevin durant's like top five in the nba they're like he's the best pure scorer of all time <laughs> they just say that what, what's a pure that. scorer it means they are really good at scoring
3: they just suck at everything else.
4: Yeah, it's their pure, dude. Nice.
3: I want to know who has the best basketball IQ that's not named LeBron James.
4: Yeah. It's LeBron James. Okay. Probably one of the smartest basketball players ever.
0: All right. Now that now I'm on roll and I think I have this setup figured out. I can I can finally do do my usual hyped intro. So, coming on this show now is someone that I've known for at least nine years. Someone contributed to managerdeprived.com when I first started and his column was called, his. it's a play on his name. I don't even think he even remembers, but it was called Gifts Ungiven. And then he also made one of the most popular articles, most read, most linked to articles of all time. I keep telling him like every year, I message him, hey, did you know that it's still like in my top five? How to play MTGO while being a cheapskate. So people, people are looking to play on the cheapo. I They Google how to play for cheap MTGO. And this guy, this guy's articles at the top of the list. He just topped forward the most recent mythic championship. He's also someone that, you know, whereas John Stern is known for you know, putting in prep, like Peyton Manning, whereas um, even Arjon, Arjon right here, a final nub, crunches some numbers, looks at the men the game really quick, but no one does it like this man because at one point, there, there was a website that scanned or, or had some bots, to ask them, that, that looked at all the MTGL replays to figure out what everyone was playing and all the matchup percentages. And then the guest that I'm about to name took it over until they decided to, to ban that. You couldn't watch other people's games anymore. or You couldn't track them. So without further ado, this is my man. Now hopefully his mic is working. Sean Gifford, welcome to the First Strike Podcast
5: hello 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 does my mic work can you hear me yeah yeah excellent so glad to be on the podcast thanks for having me
0: i'm so happy so hyped that that man, um, you almost went all the way and almost. the other thing that was nuts to me was when we tweeted when the person who beat you in top four uh, the final uh, the finalist he tweeted out that he listens to the show all the time and he asked you if you would come on when did that how did that happen
5: uh, during at the I think during the the start of the semifinals when there's a lot of downtime in the feature match area at a mythic championship as it turns out and he was asking me if I would go on your podcast and I was like oh I think I deserve a spot after top fouring and so yeah that's, that's how the conversation, conversation started.
0: Sweet. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that was like just the sweet sweet thing to hear that uh, someone from I, I assume from Europe uh, listens to our show and was asking you it's like. Do you get to decide. Like you assumed that I would ask you, but of well, I'm course I was going
5: to. I booked the show, you
0: know? Sean. <laughs> so, like, how right or wrong am I for for that reputation I'm giving you as one of the most stat-oriented players in the country?
5: Well, I don't know necessarily how stat-oriented other people are, but I certainly am all over it. Uh, as you mentioned, I, I used to operate the mtgpulse.com website after uh, the original. Uh, Danish developer of it sort of stepped away from the game and and had a kid actually but yeah I've been up with tracking the numbers on decks probably out of laziness the every every like burgeoning programmer slash engineer always wants to automate everything and I was attempting with all my ability to automate just practicing magic <laughs> and trying to determine what the best decks were through count, grabbing the numbers instead of actually playing the games and so uh yeah, I've I've always been about it, mostly through the resource of watching uh, replays on Magic Getting Online. At first, by hand, until I figured out uh, that, hey, you know what, there's maybe a better way to do this. And uh, I stumbled across the original mtgpulse.com and then uh, started doing it uh, much more uh, systematically and <laughs> efficiently, I would say, after that.
0: Did you think it, w- it was useful? Because th- were you getting enough of a sample? Because sometimes I think... Uh, when, when we see this and when john compiles some some data you know, elliot and andy look at him like ah too too small too small of a sample uh, for you the the sets that you were able to gather from mtgo was it enough for you did you think they they were fairly accurate or how did you decide that it was good enough for you to use uh, so at
5: the so at the time when i was when uh, so the way Magic Online used to work is you used to be able to watch replays of any match on Magic Online that was visible publicly. And so that in particular was sort of scheduled events and um, eight mans. Uh, the only thing was you couldn't really see were like head-to-head matches and stuff, things like that. But that, that ended up being a lot of data. I had a bot that was w- watching Magic Online replays 24-7 and I was... I was getting thousands of games a week, and I think that was enough of a sample size to actually make some deterministic things. Mm-hmm. But uh, these days, it's it's a lot harder to assemble any sort of real amounts of data. Uh, Toby Hankey who writes for ChannelFireball.com, he gets all the deck lists for all the uh, the magic fests now, and he can he can assemble some pretty large sample, uh, data sizes. And also some of the stuff that's going on with Magic Arena and some of the uh, some of the tools that are collecting. Uh, people's log files they can get some pretty good sample sizes but when it comes to just tracking data for a single event which is the kind of thing I have to do now it's uh it's not quite good enough I don't think
0: John this this comes to I, I know like if I met you earlier many years before and I told you about John or, or this website mtG pause would have blown your mind <laughs> what, what do you think about this
2: well so this definitely is right up my alley here and' like I just, I just remember like the Saturday before the, um, uh, Barcelona, um, MC Barcelona, we were in our, um, Canadian Barcelona, uh, chat and, you know, I'm just like, oh, you know, I really want to know, like, I know Canister did very well, but I want to know what happened in the mocks or what happened in the challenge and all that. And all of a sudden like Sean just like drops like a bomb on us. It's like, oh, okay, well here, here's all the data. Here's all the matchups. Here's what the, what like the players did here's here are some like really interesting, unique card choices. It's like, whoa. This guy is serious freaking business. So um, like I, I was surprised to hear all this background um, uh, for Sean, but then again, now that I think about it, not really. It's uh, very impressive.
0: Sean, looking back at uh, GIFs Ungiven, was that a good or bad column name?
5: I think uh, Sean Peche, who was sort of the the guy who started uh, Broken City School of Magic. I think he chose that one for me and I think it's perfect. <laughs> Definitely. I would go by GIF. R- routinely in the magic community, and I think gifts ungiven was perfect. Yeah, I even named my like when I no longer had a platform really to, and I wasn't really planning to write regular articles. I did make like a blog spot, which was giftsungiven dot to write like one or two things.
0: Actually, honestly, I think not um, like like when we had our private conversations about who, who you could work with. I think not enough people know uh, your reputation of how. Um, stat oriented you are and, and how, how much work how serious you put it uh are putting into the numbers despite you saying that it's like the the lazy way of, of figuring things out but i think i think you would add a lot to a team and then john seems uh genuinely impressed uh by the work you did but but let's start from, from the beginning um where, where are you from where you started uh play magic um like you're from alberta where exactly give us the lowdown
5: so I was born and raised, one of the few you know, people in the city, born and raised in Calgary, Alberta. Um, didn't actually, I remember in junior high, so that would have been, oh God, how old am I? Uh, I think in like the late 90s, mid 90s-ish, when Magic Gathering sort of hit my junior high, I think it was during Ice Age block, I was like, who are these losers? <laughs> what is this game these people are playing? This looks terrible. And I was like, trying my damn just to look and be cool all the time and not really succeeding. And I didn't really play Magic at all back then, but uh, it only happened uh, much later on. With when uh, Magic was having a bit of a resurgence, uh, they just come out with Duels of the Planeswalkers. I was I had played the demo of that on like Xbox, and uh, I was I was like discovering what Magic was for the first time, sort of in the privacy of my own home and not being in my middle school uh, hallway, and uh, really. Kind of got hooked on magic from there, and then also some of my uh, my friends, as adults with money in their pocket, were were also re re getting into magic and uh, started playing with them, and actually won the first tournament we ever played together. And I decided maybe I'm pretty good at this game after all. And then that was uh, that was I got started in uh, Reisdel Drazi was the first uh, block that I ever played.
0: Oh, that's not that long ago actually.
5: Yeah, it was something like 2010, 2011 time frame. That's when you started? Yeah.
4: Wow. First, you... first
5: games of Magic were, were then.
4: Carl, that is the exact same time I started.
3: What? Okay. Yeah, started... Carl, you're just ancient.
0: You guys both started when I started uh, Matter-Deprived. But I just, I came back though. Rise, Rise was Zendikar uh, block, right?
5: Yeah, it was the third set in okay. Zendikar block.
0: I came, back, I came back at Zendikar, but of course I came back as a far older gentleman as, as uh, John and, and Elliot would like to point out. Um, and then have you been try- uh, grinding the GP circuit since like, like 2010,
5: 2011? Uh, so I, I think what really got uh, us going was uh, I top-aided my very first PTQ, <laughs> which was I think Innistrad uh, Limited. I beat uh, Marcel Zafra in the quarterfinals, then lost to my friend uh, Paul McKinnon in the semis, who then went on to win it. And that sort of like lit the fire, hardcore, like, oh, God, I need to go to every single one of these tournaments. Because I, I lost in the friggin' in the in the semis. That's a familiar feeling now. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, I got really hooked from there. Didn't, I was still... So you, I famously wrote an article for Mana Deprived on how to play Magic Online while being a cheapskate, because I'm a cheapskate, generally speaking. So I wasn't really all in for traveling to all the Grand Prix in Portland and across the across Canada, but I was uh, trying to play as much as I could, and certainly all the PTQs I can get my uh, hands on. And uh, yeah, I played uh, pretty consistently. There was a couple of years where I went really hard. I think uh, I got 4,500 marker points in like 2014, 2015 by going to about six or seven or eight GPs per year in those couple years. But I did, uh, I did actually take a bit of a break for about three years starting in uh, around 2016. And I only, only kind of returned to the game when uh, it was announced that there'd be a, a Grand Prix Magic Fest in Calgary, Alberta uh, this past uh, summer here.
0: Wow, which I, which I uh, flew in for to, to do some coverage uh, for face to games. And you were, you were having a strong run in that as well, right?
5: I, I did okay. I uh it's really hard to play grand prix without buys. You guys, anyone out there who wants to play in a grand prix, make sure you have buys that first time. And it's it's really obnoxious to get buys if you haven't been playing for a couple of years. But yeah, I lost the first round of, of Magic Fest Calgary. uh was able to sort of recoup, recover, and I ended up going eleven four. I think that was what I ended up with. But yeah. Uh, they play with buys, basically. That's my, my lesson there. But yeah, I did okay in that tournament. I uh, I played Is It Phoenix after sort of stumbling across various decks that I could try out.
0: How did you finish again?
5: Eleven four, I think. And I had the worst yeah. tiebreakers at that record. I ended up like 46th or something. I ended up like an entire cash bracket lower because of my... I think I started the tournament at 1-2 and, and and rattled off like, I don't know, nine wins in a row or something stupid like that.
0: All right. So let's go, let's fast forward to to the MC prep. Um, I've heard sort of heard of the people you, you were sort of working with or in a Facebook Facebook group chat with, how did it actually go down? Was there much teamwork going on for the constructed part of uh, the tournament?
5: So the way I actually got hooked up with those people is I played the Sunday. No, I don't know. One of the days MCQs at, at magic fest Calgary. And just so happened to play Sean in the round three. And we had an, is it Phoenix mirror that ended up actually going to time. And we ran out of time to kill each other. And, uh, he was slightly incrementally ahead on the board and good guy, Gifford over here. I conceded to him because it was a situation where if we drew, we were both eliminated. And, and you know, I, I took the high ground because I'm a nice guy. Uh, and he ended up actually winning that MCQ. As it turns out, that was one of only three ways that he qualified for that uh, Mythic Championship in Barcelona. So definitely a spew in terms of uh, <laughs> global equity of invites. But I met uh, I met Sean through that process. And when I then spiked the MCQ in Alberta, he was one of the first people I contacted. After Attila and uh, and Bosu told me that they wouldn't be going early and some other stuff, I, I got a hold of Sean and uh, we, we linked up. And so, yeah, got... Got thrown into a great big uh, Facebook group with uh, Sean and, in particular, Daniel Goatschell and uh, and John. Uh, They're going off about uh, modern, modern horizons limited. We actually talked quite a bit leading up to the event. Sorry, friend of the uh, podcast, uh, Gold Ducat, by the way. Yes, Gold Ducat.
0: Okay, so how was he? Um, yeah, we, we always talk about him being going on and on about, he, he's just got so many theories modern limit uh, you name it but okay let's let's start with uh let's start with uh, constructed so you picked eldrazi tron etron um how, how did that come about
5: so <clears throat> i wanted to well first off i had this foundation of is it phoenix so i w- i kind of wanted to just play that again run that back cuz i was fairly well versed in the lines and playing the deck and that was actually the last modern deck i could i had kind of played Back in the day, it was a like Monastery Swift Spear metamorphose thing in the ice deck before Phoenix was printed. So I really wanted to just play that again, but I was getting ranched. There was so much uh, graveyard hate in the format, thanks to the just previously banned uh, Bridge from Below version Hogak that I was was getting kind of topsy-turvy there. And didn't really like a lot of my matchups. I, uh, I signed up for a Mana Traders account and tried like every possible deck I could uh, get my hands on over the course of a couple of weeks on Magic Online, playing leagues with all of them. And uh, wasn't, still wasn't quite sure what was going on. And then I sort of read some of the articles that uh, A, Toby Hankey put together. Again, uh, looking for data. Toby Hankey writes articles for Channel Fireball about some of the win percentages at uh, Magic Fest. And in particular, in this case, it was GP Dallas. And he identified at GP Dallas that color, quote unquote colorless Eldrazi had the highest win percentage across all decks against the, the non-Hogak uh, Bridgevine uh, field. And including, I think even with Hogak included. So that was sort of like, clued me in like, hey, maybe this Etron tron deck is pretty good. Then I played in a Mox preliminary with hardened scales because why not play that <laughs> deck?
0: What? That doesn't make any sense.
5: I thought I thought it might be relatively well positioned because I was playing some leagues with Etron and I lost the hard skills with them. I'm like, well, if I think Etron is the best deck and this deck beats what I think is the best deck, <laughs> try it out. But so I played hard skills in the, uh, yeah, Galaxy Brain. Yeah, uh, I played hard skills sure. in the Mox Preliminary, got absolutely destroyed by multiple times turned to Stony Silence. I'm like, where's, <laughs> I thought everyone would cut all their Stony Silences. I thought the whole thing was triggered. Hey, what the heck? Uh, but, I still stuck it out and played every round, well, slash conceded every round of that tournament just so I could watch the replays at the conclusion of the event. And I put together a little bit of a spreadsheet, which again identified that Etron was a really good choice for that tournament, and uh, and sort of like started putting things together. Another kind of couple reasons that I was led toward Etron is that this tournament was different from any other in that it had open deck lists, and knowing that you can that you know what if you mull to a chalice, you're going to win the game. That like. That felt like a powerful tool to have in one's back pocket. And to have sort of Chalice of the Void or like just the ability to say, oh, I need to have Ghost Quarter at the outset of my uh, my match. I, th- I thought that was pretty interesting. Obviously, Jund or like Blue Eye Control have similar similar reactive decks that can have that sort of open deck lists thing. But those decks suck. So <laughs> it was all about the Etron, baby. <laughs> oh, man. I'll let one last thing I'll mention is I, I also another deck I wanted to play was a devoted druid deck. That's sort of my bread and butter. Uh, I got started in modern playing birthing Paw and I love the sort of creature combo decks. But uh, it was just I was just getting destroyed with uh, with etron as well, or uh, with devoted uh, druid as well. Uh,
0: what did the detective dollywall think then of your choice?
5: Well, clearly he also liked Etron because that's the deck he ended up locking in for the mythic championship. We talked about it a fair amount and we we had a lot of discussion about uh the karn wishboard slots and also uh the the minor tweaks of our lists i think uh I think he convinced me to go back to Endbringer off of Ugin the Ineffable but yeah, I think uh he and I linked up quite a bit on that he was he was undecided as to whether he wanted to do Etron or Hogak toward the the final uh days there but uh, he, he locked in e at the end of it
0: well what about the other people on your team like did you come to the same 75 was it close what about the other members of the
5: team so me and Sean were f- fairly close I think we were about like three cards off each other so pretty darn close all things considered there's also um, I want to say Patrick or Steven one of those two <laughs> Uh, fellows also ended up on e train, also slightly different versions. Like, I was the only schmuck who uh, registered main deck warping whale, uh, and then I think I was also the only guy who went for both worm call and mystic forge in the sideboard because I was like, you know what, guys, I, I was in that mox prelim, Jund was all over the place, it's gonna be the Jund Pro Tour, look out, boys. But it turned out to be the Hogak Pro Tour, <laughs> not for me at least. <laughs> I say, yeah, that that was, but we were all fairly close. I think almost all of us cut the uh, Crucible Worlds, realizing that it doesn't really do enough uh, in most circumstances. And it's not really a very worthy target for Karn wishing for because you've already got four mana. What do you need this Crucible for? But, uh, yeah, I think overall the team was fairly divided, and that's always going to happen basically in modern. Unless there's a deck as insanely good as like Hogak or Eldrazi Winter. And and you all acknowledge it and see it uh, well enough in advance to A, have the cards, and B, sort of get the reps in. But uh, I think it's pretty standard that modern tournaments, there's people on different decks. I think we had 12, 10 to 12-ish people, and we probably had about six different decks. Bring Delight, Snake Shift, Is It Phoenix, uh, E-Tron, Hogak, and Humans. I think were all the kind of decks that people I, I knew in the team were playing.
0: John, John what do you think about uh, the deck that John, uh, Sean ended up piloting?
2: I think that you know, like he made he made a very astute. Well, I I, I assume that he took that into consideration, but like Charles Charles of the Void on one being very good, and you know, just like um, just going slightly bigger than the traditional mid ranging Jund. You know that like I I think thesis is like if you want to play Atron, that, like these two things have to be right. Because otherwise, if Chalice is not good, then like why not just go Big Brother Tron? Like because Big Brother Tron has like similar characteristics mm-hmm. and all that. And if you think that um, the field was going to be full of uh, Is a Phoenix and uh, Hogak, like Hogak is actually kind of weak against uh, Chalice and one as well because they have so many one drops. And um, you know, just like if you have a field a uh, field full of Jund and uh, Blue White as the Ferrets, which um, E Tron is favored against because it goes slightly bigger. Um, there are um, very sticky threats like TKS and uh, smashers, which a blue white can't cleanly answer on a one-for-one basis in on a timely basis. And if those are true, then yeah, Etron's like pro- probably like one of the better picks that um, uh, one could have picked for this uh, MC. So I fully, fully approve um, of
0: the of, of the choice. Sweet. Um, how about the, the limited prep, Sean? Like, how, how do you do? how did you use stats were you like i don't know how moto did it before when they published like whether player draw was better for like sealed and 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 draft and different color combos there were a lot of stats to be to be gathered before but i'm not sure about now so i'm actually curious
5: yeah there used to be a guy that would write articles i think for star city games where he would uh, watch a lot of replays of of limited matches. Some of the stats that they tried to suss out were sort of the speed of the format. They tried to determine what, what turn games ended and things like that. I never found that as as interesting because I was always of the uh, the attitude of trying to stay open in draft and try to draft, quote-unquote, the hard way, a la, a la Ben Stark. So I was never all about like, oh, uh, I need to force this strategy because it's got the highest win rate in, in limited matches. So stats didn't really play into limited. And I finally kind of got off my ass when it came to limited and actually played batches and made and drafted decks in my three previous pro tours. I had not, I, I can clearly say I did not draft nearly enough. Part of that is also the fact that, uh, pro tours in the past you didn't get access to the set on magic online nearly as quick as long as you had it for this set like we had modern horizons for like two and a half months almost leading up to this mythic championship i people were getting bored of the format (laughs) it was hard toward the toward the mythic championship it was actually hard to fire some cues it would take about 45 minutes to assemble a draft but uh what that did allow is me to get in an adequate number of drafts for once uh, leading up to the mythic championship i got 50 50 Modern Horizons drafts under my belt uh, leading in the Mythic Championship, whereas some of the pro tours I had in the past were, again, I did not do very well in draft, I only had like dozens at the, at the time.
0: What were some, some of the lessons that you drew away from? It's just so funny that you try to take the lazy path for everything, trying to win, be the world champion, minimal work. But um, what, what, what discoveries did you make?
5: It wasn't, it's not so much minimal work, so much as <laughs> trying to be as efficient as possible with my time. I'm a kind of a busy person, KYT. I have, I have <laughs> streams to make. Um, but some of the things I came aw- away with were, well, leading up to it and the, the, the process I've been going through with every draft format now is sort of do my own individual uh, evaluation of every card in the set and then sort of compare and contrast that to the other resources that come out afterward, like things like limited resources or Lords of Limited, people like that. So, Sort of instead of relying on their impressions, I make my own impressions then compare contrast and also things like Frank Karsten's um, Sort of notional pick order articles that he comes out with. Um, I identified what the what I thought the ten like draft Archetypes would be among the various colors usually relying on the signpost and comments to sort of guide me um, <clears throat> I tried to imagine what um a typical like textbook example of each of those archetypes would be by giving myself, building little limited decks and giving myself the opportunity to 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 like fake-o draft like three uncommons and ten commons and stuff. So I did that kind of uh, preparation before I could even actually draft the cards. And then I just started drafting a whole lot of it. I found that I had preferences for red a little bit. I really love myself a Magnetic Sinkhole. But at the same time, I always tried to stay open as I possibly could. Enough that... I never forced a deck and, it, and actually I was in Barcelona before I ever really successfully drafted ninjas and magic gathering online because people were forcing that deck like crazy. And I even took, I, I even decided, well, I, I need to, I need to play this deck. I need to see how good like smoke shroud is and how highly I need to take it. So I even decided myself to force ninjas one draft just to like experience ninjas. And I hated the entire experience. I hated forcing a deck. I was passing like the nut snow deck to my left and I wanted to, I wanted to like. I wanted to quit the draft midway through it. I ended up throwing with like the worst, world's ugliest blue, blue red deck. But uh, yeah, uh, it was all about trying to do like some Anders Lee style uh, intentional practice to uh, to really efficiently use my time and, and and experience all the archetypes leading into the draft. Because I've I've gone into pro tour drafts before where I've dra- I'm drafting an archetype for the first time ever, including once where I had to play BBD in the subsequent rounds and uh, lost horribly. So I really wanted to experience all the draft archetypes so that I didn't go into the test trying to learn things at the, at the same time. <laughs>
0: um, I, I don't think the format matters anymore. If I'm, it, okay, it doesn't, okay, got, got oh, the, No, 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 no,
2: is GP Vegas, the third week of August, paradoxically is Modern Horizons limited, but the Sunday PPQ is limited but M twenty, okay. Why?
3: <laughs> I, I don't know. You lose four times day one to Hogak of the modern Grand Prix, you can move on to Modern Horizons Limited.
0: <laughs> I think I think um, there's a lot of M twenty MCQs online right next next month in August, I believe. I think I, I skimmed uh, the schedule a bit um, and saw that. So so any word of advice? Oh, uh, go ahead. Any, you too as well. Okay, Popper. Um, Popper might be a good way to uh, to get there to join my and man
2: Andy. It was the. It's actually going to be the very first Popper MCQ ever. Um, they said that in the Magic Online uh, notes release. So, um, for the fans of Popper out there, this this is like factually going to be the very first one. It's kind of exciting actually. And there's going to be a Legacy PTQ in September as well. So, actually, Magic Online is kind of exciting in terms of like breaking new ground.
0: People are gonna be loading up their Mana Traders account. Um, Sean, any takeaways for, for people going to Vegas to play uh, some, some Modern Horizons Limited? Any like, quick quick uh, things that might not be obvious?
5: Um, if your opponent Spring Bloom Druids for two planes, you're in terrible, terrible danger because that means they've either got a Sarah in their deck or they're gonna Winds of Abandon you overload it and uh, Plague win your entire board. That was the experience that I had when I went to the uh, Magic Fest in uh, Seattle. After I qualified for the Mythic Championship in Barcelona, I decided let's pull out the wallet, uh, hammer some checks, and uh, pay for a flight to Seattle so I could practice uh, the Mythic Championship. And I, So I got to experience uh, Modern Horizon Sealed. It is a fun format, but there is some pretty balmy cards like, uh, like Yawgmoth, like uh, Winds of Abandon, and like Sarah. And so, I don't know, my st- strategy with all sealed formats is generally... Uh, play as many rares as you possibly can, try and make the mana work and uh, make sure you have the ability to go to go sort of into the late game. You have to have both late game power and it's also a fairly aggressive format generally speaking, so you you can't just uh, forego doing anything on turns two and three at the same time. Hmm. All
0: right, all right, hold on hold
4: on a second, Sean
0: Andy, take over?
4: Well, Elliot, what are you going to play in the standard PTQ this weekend? Uh,
3: probably Bant Ramp again. I'm waiting to catch Andre Straski live so I can catch some of him playing it. He's been crushing on Arena with it, placing in the... I think he say he's firmly in the top 10 before the season ended just recently, so uh, he says that it's crushing the Scapeshift Shift deck, which was absolutely terrifying for me. I could not beat that deck before, uh, but Deputy Retention seems to fix that, so... But I have Bant the I have
4: the tech, Elliot. I have the tech to beat that ramp. Yeah, it's right. the root snare, baby. Root snare. Well, will
3: beat. I can't play it anymore. <laughs> You've really blown it. Cut it. Cut it. Cut the show. <laughs> okay, I'm back. I'm back. What happened?
4: I asked Elliot what he's going to play in the MCQ in standard this weekend.
0: Oh, there's a standard MCQ.
4: On uh, moto. Yeah, On
3: Sunday. Yeah.
0: All right, I man, if Tangrams – Tangrams, tell me what to play um back to back to sean uh we were talking about okay limited takeaways okay so it's funny you talked about your, your story on the whole Etron, tron scales and then you end up basically losing to Harden scales right like what what the hell <laughs> what was your feeling knowing so, that you had to play it in the top four
5: well and i also so um the weekend before the uh, mythic championship while i was in barcelona there was a magic online modern challenge and i decided to sign up for that with finally Etron, the deck i was planning to play the mythic championship and i did actually pretty good in that tournament but in round seven when i was five and one i actually played against a fellow by the name that goes by the motto name of varro uh <laughs> AKA my opponent in the semifinals, of the bloody mythic championship, who was also playing hardened skills at that time. And, uh, and I lost that match up just like I lost the semifinals. That is a terrible matchup. It's well, not terrible, but it's not a good matchup. Harden. Your, your child's the voids are medium. Uh, you have no real ability to sweep a very wide board for them. And as Varo himself said, Uh, sometimes your Karn isn't good enough uh, on turn four because they've already got a a wide enough board or a flying enough board to actually assault it and before it can actually stick around for very long. So I wasn't really expecting a lot of hardened scales in the tournament. and I think Varro, I think he was one of like five pilots in the entire field. And boy, oh boy, must he be lucky because (laughs) Leyline on the Void is a terrible, is also pretty good against hardened scales, not to mention the fact that it was the most played card in the entire field. And so, uh, but uh, he, he made it happen somehow <laughs> I to, mean, to my, my chagrin at least.
0: I think this is such a crazy story and, and John has the same reaction as me, like you, you talked about how you moved to Etron, you you, you moved to hard scales, then you play this guy online and you, you face him again in real life? What the hell is going on?
5: Yeah, <laughs> it's a small world, the magic online uh, modern community apparently
0: it's like whoa how do you know he was the the Varo guy?
5: I only figured that out afterward like I was oh. like um, well his Twitter handle is that and then I like was sort of like uh, doing a recap uh, for my Twitch stream earlier today and I like remembered that I played in the modern challenge and I looked at the decklist and I saw Varro was in eighth place and I remembered wait a second I lost to that guy oh my god that's the same guy. <laughs> wow yeah small world. That is. That is absolutely crazy and, to me. And I, that's where I learned of the play that they can, if you play a Chalice of the Void on a certain amount, they can then raise the counters of your Chalice of the Void with Animation Module or Throne of Gath. Because in that moto match, I at the time had an Oblivion Stone in my sideboard, a Karn Minus for Oblivion Stone, and then like waited to play it where I could play it and crack in the same turn. But while I was waiting, he moved my own Chalice of the Void up to three to counter my my O stone, so that I couldn't actually even cast it. Sneaky.
0: Is is that what uh, Marcus Tebow's uh, trying to bug us about? Talk about the chalice on zero.
5: So, well, yeah, we could get into my on camera feature matches if you Let's really go. want to. Let's go. Let's so, do it. So, so I, um, I did pretty. I don't know if you guys heard, but I did okay in the tournament. <laughs> I don't. I feel like you haven't talked about how well I did enough. I think we should really belabor that point. But. Uh, <laughs> at one point I was eleven and two and got called in the feature actually no, here's the weirdest thing. So eleven and two. You want a, you want an even smaller world? Here we go. I'm eleven and two. Uh we get paired. I'm sitting across from Varro. And we're waiting, we're just sort of like tooling our thumbs, getting ready to roll some dice, getting ready to exchange deck lists as you do, and uh waiting for them to announce feature matches. And then the judge comes over and points at four tables and says, No, 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 this is a repair. And he, they, they do like a minuscule repair of the four tables. So I was actually supposed to play Varo then and lose then in round 12. But instead there's a repair. Um, John Finkel was actually originally paired to Dave, against David Mines and had won the die roll. But then John Finkel got swooped away to another opponent and David Mines got paired against me. So And then the two of us got off to the feature match area for round 12. And so uh, that was a pretty sweet that was my very first ever feature match. I, I top forward, uh, GP San Jose with, uh, Robert Smith and Tyler Bloom. We never saw the, the, the bright lights of a camera during that entire tournament. Uh, never really been in a, in a magic, uh, Wizards of the Coast feature match ever. And so that was really exciting, but it did, uh, we were both very nervous as you could probably tell by the fact that at one point I activated Karn and didn't get anything at, at the conclusion of, of it because of a, uh, judge interruption. But, uh, that was uh, that was pretty sweet and exciting. And then that sort of gave me a little bit of experience when it came time to then play another couple feature matches, both in the quarterfinals and the semifinals. And the thing that uh, uh, Marcus Thibault is excited about is a Chalice of the Void on Zero that I cast in Game 2 of the semifinals against Varro. So... I so I Marcus had tested El Tron even much more than I had. He was on it earlier than I was, and had probably played more matches. And he, I was getting some advice from him both about sideboarding and about sort of like play and in particular against playing against Harden Skills. I had played Harden Skills myself, but like the intricacies of, of friggin' uh, void against Etron or against uh, Harden Skills can be complicated at times one is pretty good zero has some facility you want to put it on two sometimes to turn off their potential to cast archon ravager but in that situation he's like you know what chalice on zero is probably your best bet because that turns off their their explosive draws with mox opal and like uh and sometimes they could go metallic mimic into a bunch of zero mana cards and go off and so i went for i i followed the his advice went for a chalice on zero and also because i was going planning to mind stone on turn two so that would that would either delay my mind stone or delay a chalice on one for even longer as it turns out i got massively punished because he had an entire draw of one drops later on another semifinals game i instead went was patient and went for a chalice on one and instead in that game he, he spewed a bunch of zero drops on me that's just life when you're playing with chalice the void baby <laughs> sometimes sometimes you go for the ones and they got the zeros sometimes you go for the zeros and they got the ones <laughs> I've I've basically, as one does when you lose a match playing for $5,000, I've poured over both that entire match, all three, all uh, four games, all four games, left and right center, Uh, read the Twitch chat, the brilliant geniuses in Twitch chat and all the sage advice that they had, also listened to the much more uh, reasonable advice that uh, Eduardo Sajkalik had. During the course of the of the tournament but i overall i think i'm pretty happy with the choices i made at least when it comes to current activations and chalice of the voids but uh it's a very challenging matchup i have to say
0: shout out to eduardo i man, i think he's one of my uh, favorite commentators and and he's become a friend uh, as he as he lives here in montreal now um also awesome, awesome guy, awesome commentary and genuinely knows what he's talking about when he when he's on i really enjoy his commentary
5: my hope is that so it, it seemed like he agreed agree with most of my lines. my hope is that that wasn't just for me to watch later and not feel too depressed about <laughs> in fact, he's like this guy's an idiot what is he doing oh he's probably thinking that this is what's going on and this is but no if that is in fact the case he's a brilliant actor if it wasn't the case then i love the guy and, and i agree with all his lines but yeah him both him and riley knight they were the Commentators of all three of the matches that I played uh, in the feature match area and uh, I was hardly I was always hardly entertained by the two of them beforehand and I was very happy to l- Watch and listen to the the feature matches afterward and, and experience their commentary
0: So, do, do you know what you get a finishing top four?
5: Um, is it as as
0: per usual you're you're,
5: you're cute for the next one so You know in if I had managed to do this a scant, you know eight months earlier, I would be I would get silver, and that would qualify me for two uh, Mythic Championships, both the one in Richmond and the one subsequent to that. Uh, as we are now in a post-pro-players post, plat- or post pro players club <laughs> world, I, uh, and I can't really complain that much. I just top four a to Mythic Championship. <laughs> i now only qualified for one additional tournament. In order to qualify for two additional tournaments, I had to win the thing to qualify for Worlds in addition to Richmond. But now i just qualified for Richmond. I did get 37 Mythic Points which if i crack the top four of the challenger mythic points ladder board i will qualify for worlds on that aspect however there's this this young upstart by the name of luis scott vargas something weird like that and he's he's sort of at the top of the challenger leaderboard right now when it comes to mythic points so him and like uh uh, eli loveman who won london and uh uh, who just won uh, barcelona there's some uh, challengers to, to challenge in the Mythic Points leaderboard, so I need to do pretty. Uh, I need to do really well at Richmond, and also uh, try to qualify for the the, Mythic, the next Magic Arena Mythic Championship on August uh, 14th when it's the Mythic Qualifier Weekend. So I need to figure out what standard deck to play within the next two weeks. Wow! So did they? Say- the only thing I got was just fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, no
0: big yeah, deal. No big deal. Uh, did they? Did they say like how people qualify for the for the championship uh, uh, for the arena one? Is it the top X uh, challengers on the leaderboard?
5: So there's the uh, I just looked at myself for a second on on Twitch. I'm freaking out. Um, yeah, there's uh, I've got the article here. Oh, it's very complicated. It's like slash challenger But basically, there's four slots at Worlds dedicated to Mythic Point leaderboards. So that's that's. That's the like sort of uh, the thing at the end of the horizon that I'm aiming for, and uh, so that's one piece of qualification. And then qualifying for the Magic Arena Mythic Championship, you have to do really well in one of these Mythic qualifier weekends, which is coming up here on August fourteenth.
0: All right, all right. I'm, I'm like, I'm hoping to qualify for that via MTG Arena, I guess. Um, so the big burning question for people in the chat, Sean, was like, what what you're gonna play? What you would recommend people playing with upcoming MCQs um, in the next month? There's there's many in the next month.
5: Yeah. So there's apparently there's all kinds of different formats that people can MCQ for. There's limited ones. There's popper ones. There's standard ones. But the only thing I could potentially even have the slimmest bit of expertise on would be the modern ones. Now, obviously, it's a different format. It doesn't have open deck list. That was a big factor into the mind deck selection. It's probably just honestly, it's Sadly, brutally, it's probably just Hogak. The deck is so ridiculously powerful, um, and it's probably not possible to realistically main deck Leyline of the voids and like really have the as big of an edge with main deck Chalices as you can without uh, open deck lists. So I think it's the answer is probably Hogak, or pray that, uh, or play one of the decks that could beat Hogak could also beat some of the other rest of the field, like maybe Hardened Scales deck um that would probably be my advice be be proactive but actually even more so my advice would be a deck that you're familiar with and uh, can play at a high proficiency because at the uh, at the mcq level uh, people make so i made a lot of mistakes on camera uh, people uh, at the mythic championship i made my opponents made mistakes i made mistakes off camera I made mistakes where I stayed from my Airbnb. I made mistakes by catching Colt. There was mistakes everywhere. Uh, and people make even more mistakes at the Mythic Championship qualifier. And if you can play your deck at a high level of proficiency and make fewer mistakes than your opponent, that's probably the best advice that I have possibly. So if there's a deck that you're already very familiar with, that's probably the one to go with. Uh, decks like Hogak is actually it's powerful, but it's also incredibly complicated. Uh, we saw on camera Yelga Rikersma make a fair number of mistakes and is winning in against... Uh, one uh, okay, I can't. The guy that I beat in the quarterfinals, I like, can't. Yeah, I don't know his entire name, but uh, it's a very complicated deck to play. There's a lot of crazy lines, a lot of sac- having to sacrifice your own hogax, your own vengevines and stuff. And so, if you if you uh, don't just waltz into an MCQ and expect that oh I've got the hogax deck, oh, clearly I'm going to win. There's a lot of uh, difficulty to play in that deck.
0: So so why not why not Etron? Why not run that back if if you were not qualified? And all the live, all the live MCQs are are going to be modern.
5: Yeah. Um. Well, I think. Well, one possible aspect is that every time a deck wins a mythic championship, a lot more people end up showing up with that deck. And Green Tron, or AKA the deck that Toffle played to win the tournament, is a terrible matchup for uh, for me uh, for each Tron. Um, there, are, There is, like, some outs. Like, I had a plan. Here's, you want to hear my crazy plan, what I was going to go for if I had managed to be playing this? Wait, were,
0: were were you, like, did you think the night before, like, how the bracket might play out for you to win? Like, were you scared that, were you thinking that far ahead?
5: Uh, I I figured, well, not to be too um, arrogant, but I thought <laughs> I thought I was a pretty hard lock to win the quarters. Okay. Because Chalice void one is so devastatingly good. There's the, against... Uh, uh, red phoenix I thought and I was on the play in, in game one and I knew he couldn't sideboard to get his braids for game two. Like I thought I was I was pretty hard locked. So I was a, I was paying close attention to the semifinals matchup and I thought that's where I would lose because it was either going to be Hogak or Harden Scales. I, I didn't really worry too much about the other side of the bracket, but once once the day was unraveling and when it was clear that Toffel was going to make it to the finals, I started to formulate what a plan would be. <laughs> and I knew I was a higher seed than him. And I figured, well, I could probably assume I could probably get three games where I'd be on the play, and so the, the game plan would be Mulligan to Tron plus Karn, Karn for uh, liquid metal coating, and start blowing up those lands, and like hope to do that three different games where I'm on the play, and maybe that would do it, and that would be the ugliest tron V tron, uh, win in the in the finals, and everyone in Twitch chat would be really upset, and uh, Wizards of the Coast would have to ban Urza's Tower and It would be uh, it'd be great, but uh, unfortunately, I didn't make it through the semis, and we didn't uh, we didn't hit that timeline.
0: (laughs) We we didn't hit that timeline. The The
5: most glorious timeline.
0: Um, Andy, um, man, you already qualified, but hearing uh, Dom, hearing Elia John, and Sean, what would you play?
4: If I had access to Hogak, I would play Hogak with without a doubt. I'm not sure which version. I really like the idea of Lotleth Troll as like part of the flex. I actually like the just main decking the Assassin's trophies and uh keeping the ley lines on the sideboard. I think that's a good plan. And uh, that's probably what I would play. Something some combination of that. Just Hokak for sure though, unless they ban it. And then from there, it would be Is a Phoenix.
0: Right. Elliot.
3: Uh well I have an MCQ on I think it's the 10th, uh, and I'm, I'm planning on playing Tron. I've, I've sent out the feelers. I've, I've borrowed a copy of the deck for that tournament. I'm not sure whether I'm going to be playing Car the Great Creator or not, um, but that's really where I'm leaning right now, assuming nothing changes.
0: I, I,
2: John, Neoform? Well, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm feeling responsible, I would actually go with the Hogak Dredge version here. Um, a bunch of like good young players um, uh, played that deck to like sixty percent win rate in a smaller sample size. In theory, the um, the aim is to shore up your matchup against um, like humans with Blast Zone, uh, Red, Ber- Red Phoenix, and Burn, uh, which you can do with Creeping Chills, uh, where you like they can r- they can race you if you're on Turbo Hulk Act. So I think that's the list I would play if if I was being responsible. But um, I have my uh, paper mcq this saturday and mock sporting house mcq um, next saturday and i'm not saying i'm gonna try and turn one people but i'm gonna try and turn one people
0: can't have can't have fomo again you, you gotta make it you got to win it i believe in you my man oh i, I full
2: turn one in people and winning the, i mean it's, not, it's 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 a meme but i'm serious about how good how good i think it is
0: sweet um, Sean, are there any other stories from, from the NPC that, that you want to talk about want to share? Anything
5: else? Um, so during, uh, during coverage when I was around like nine wins uh, on camera at the, at the news desk, Rich Hagen like, brought up my previous uh, Mythic Championship record of 10 and 20 and I saw it 33% in my previous uh, three Mythic Championships so that was nice to broadcast to 20,000 people and I am happy to now report that I am twenty three, twenty three and two, exactly fifty percent at the Mythic Championship level, because of my uh, thirteen and three run at the uh, Barcelona. So, if anyone needs coaching from a fifty percent uh, Mythic Championship uh, player, go ahead and contact me on Twitter. I'll be happy to help.
0: What was uh, what was the experience like of, of playing uh, Mythic Championship with the previous Pro Tour? Was it pretty similar? Like I've never played an MC before. Uh, I've played two Pro Tours.
5: The difference between, a, there was almost no discernible difference between the Mythic Championship and the uh, the Pro Tour. The big thing for me, I'll mention, is that, uh, and the reason that it sort of helped, uh, helped me along, was this was a mature format. We had Modern Horizons for a long time, and Modern didn't really, aside from the banning, It had if the banning didn't exist, we'd also had a pretty mature Modern format too. So that really helped out, I think, everyone who's not part of like a, large like 12 person professional team with people that are reporting results to each other and practicing non-stop
0: What was the so the production value didn't didn't seem like any higher than usual like the arena championships They make it look so baller. And so hype. at least on stream. It looks like
5: yeah, and I think in terms of the like the, the, the Main stage and the the pro tour area. It seemed identical to previous pro tours except now it's some scrub from Canada was in the top four.
0: <laughs> I was sad. I was sad that we, we couldn't see more Canadians. We couldn't see the, like some of them had, had a s- decent start. I think Edgar started XO for a while, was undefeated. I think Sean Dollywall was X1 for a good part uh, of day one. Like who, who else did well on your team?
5: I, I think Daniel, I think Sean uh, also did well. Um, more people would have done well on our team, except I had to beat them in their draft rounds. I had to beat uh, Tobias Roos in the first draft pod and then Max Mick, who's technically not a Canadian, but he was an honorary Canadian for our tournament in the uh, the second draft. Um yeah, I think uh I, I honestly I'm so self-absorbed. I haven't even looked at this final standings yet to see where everyone else an- ended up. But I think uh I think some other people did pretty well. Uh, particularly on day one.
2: Uh allow me to so self-absorb uh, uh Toby went ten six, Marcus went ten six, uh Max I think went eleven five and uh uh daniel friend of the podcast daniel went eleven five, i think so the chat actually did very well
5: yeah if we were a team series team we would be in the running for something
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh sean you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be one of my all-time favorite guests and uh, i'm gonna have to ask you to come back so uh, even hey, even if you don't win, win anything, there's going to be an invite again. I promise you that. Um, so when, you're
5: saying my invite to the First Tech desk is not <laughs> conditional on top fouring. The no, it, it never was. It well, never was. You, <laughs> if you told me that earlier, I would have relaxed this last week and maybe taken things a little bit easier.
0: <laughs> but when, when come on, when Varro tweeted that, that he asked you if you were going to come on, I mean, I had no choice. My hands were tied at that point. Yeah. Um, but... Um, I mean, I do get asked by, by a lot of people, but we, at the same time for the general casual listener, it's gotta be someone who, who has done something that the general cat, either casual con- competitive players can, can recognize. It can't be like, who is this guy? Like, why well, is it a collection of KYT's friends? So, um, having Dom Harvey and you on the show has been like, this, this has been great picking your brains. What's next for you? We'll, we'll end the show with, uh, what's next for you?
5: So the next thing, I have to figure out what standard deck to play because I want to qualify for the Magic Arena Mythic Championship. I don't know where the actual, where it is, but the, the weekend is the August 14th. So I have two weeks to figure that out. There's also Mythic Championship, Mythic points on the line there. So if I want to find my way into Worlds world somehow, I need to do well uh, there and accumulate those. So that's, that's what's next on the line. And then after that, uh, eyes, all, I, all eyes focused on uh, Richmond, which will be standard in uh, around November with Thrones, Veladrain, Standard, and Draft
0: sick anyone else who you want to thank anything you missed last chance Uh,
5: i have yeah i have to do some shout outs some slops and props baby (laughs) more Uh, slops please i I
0: like slops so more
5: slops (laughs) Uh, slops to whoever gave me this cold on the the flight to barcelona for the entire 10 days i was in barcelona and the pro tour and still now i had a terrible cold I, i made my poor airbnb host miserable um uh slops to varro for beating me not not only once, but twice over the course of eight days. Um, props uh, to uh, John for contributing a tremendous amount to the preparation for a tournament that he himself was not even qualified for. That was really awesome. And uh, particular props to Ryan soul out of Calgary, Alberta, who lent me so many cards that allowed me, he lent me all the chalices, all the ley lines, all the, uh, all the stuff to make my, uh, my Eldrazi Tron deck come together and uh, props to my wife for letting me disappear for 10 days. <laughs> and, uh, go to the other side of the world to play magic the gathering uh the, the children's game for, for fun and, and money
0: <laughs> this is so, so good all right well let's end this um I should, thank, thank you so much for coming on sean and, and uh i can't pleasure. wait i can't
2: wait, wait until you crush. sorry sean, sean don't you do, you do you stream on twitch
0: oh,
2: oh yeah, yeah i guess plug that you gotta plug to that
5: myself shout out to myself uh, I stream, I've been streaming mostly arena up until I, I spiked that MCQ and now, now I've got all kinds of things on my plate, but mostly arena at uh, twitch.tv slash binky MTG. The time that I stream could be awkward for some. It's sort of basically mountain standard time, working day hours today I had a very short stream because I'm exhausted It is way past my bedtime. It is currently what time is it? it's like it's uh, four in the morning, Barcelona time, which after my long 10 day stint over there, I'm actually getting used to, but, uh, I'm getting back to more uh, regular stream hours and some more like uh, acceptable times for people on the East coast. But yeah, check me out at uh, twitch.tv slash blinky MTG. If you, if you're looking I, I, for some PG wholesome uh, magic arena, magic gathering online uh, playthroughs.
0: Actually one question. What, what's the, what's the origin behind that uh, name? I mean, we had, um, yeah.
5: So um, there's, Many, many, you know, myths and legends around the Blinky MTG origin. I, I've gone as Blinky for a while on various uh, video games, partly because I don't blink enough. <laughs> I, I, I stare at my computer screen for too long. My eyes dry out and get incredibly bloodshot, and uh, I need to blink more. <laughs> so it's a sort of a reminder to myself that, you know what? Close your damn eyes so your eyeballs don't dry out. Uh, that's kind of why, why I'm Blinky MTG.
0: <laughs> I mean, I was like, uh uh, like Dom Harvey, his name is Domin Harvia. Okay, <laughs> nice pun. Just like gifts, uh, <laughs> gifts a un- given. Uh, that was pretty good. So, all right, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show. Love you, man. Thanks for having me. And good luck on getting it to the uh, the the arena championship. Shout for now. All right, that was Sean Gifford. Finish uh, top four at the Mythic Championship. Hopefully, I'm not muted on Twitch. I'm not. Blinky MTG hype, sweet, and yes, I did. I am the reigning defending Arena Super Cup champion, and I'll be defending it here at Esports Central on caps. Um, okay, let's let's get some last word from you guys. Um, if you want to support the show, go to slash first strike. We posted um, a, a fresh new guide from Andy himself. We had just won a standard PTQ, um, with with Scape Shift, and uh, updated list. It's not the same list that he played to win it all. It's updated with new sideboard guide. All that jazz that you need to dominate um, your next standard tournament. And if modern, you could consider, you know, joining uh, First Strike to, to pick John's Brain. Or, you know, you got Team Nova also, who uh, might have a Tron list that uh, Elliot might be interested to. I, I might look into that. I mean, uh, I'm always for pro content. I mean, now, like today, we had... There's some talk amongst people that I don't really know on Facebook when PV jumped to SCG and and people are like, oh, why why bashing SCG? Because why is he going behind a paywall and CFB is still giving their content for free? But I, I'm all for content producers being able to monetize work that they put their heart in. Like even a simple cyborg guy with an updated list for all those matchups. It's just maybe not for, for John, but to me, it's just like tedious work, um, that, yeah, it's just tedious and it's someone's time. Someone's pouring hours into it. And especially if it's, it's a creator that, you know, it's part of their, one of their main resources of income, then, then I think we got to support that, especially when it's three, four or five or $10 a month or something like that. Like, Definitely, am all for that. So, for any of these um, SEG teams that that decide to put out their their real deck list before a tournament or give their advice, uh, that would be uh, yeah. I'm just saying, I'm all for it. John, go go ahead. What's next? Anything missing from from you? No, man,
2: nothing so much. Um, uh, my my part one of the guide on uh, Neo up. Uh, Today, you can check my Twitter or uh, KYT's Twitter or just uh, face-to-face-games.com for that. I'll have my part two, uh, which will have a comprehensive uh, gameplay, sideboarding, and uh, matchup guide as well. Otherwise, yeah, I'm just going to go to to MCQ this Saturday. I'm going to go turn on some people and punish people for netdecking Hogak.
3: Okay, we'll go to you, Elliot. Uh, I've got some netdecking to do myself over the next week and then uh, play at MCQ on the 10th. And uh, I think nothing after that till Vegas. You're going to Vegas? Yeah. I <sighs> locked in Vegas today. I, I <laughs>
0: was it? Was Andy making it... Uh, was that the rekindling of the fire? What's going on? Uh,
3: the rekindling of the fire that brought me to Vegas is not magic related. It's um, Vegas related. Okay. okay. But the, definitely like I was... Definitely leaning towards skipping, like, the Saturday MCQs. Uh, but now I've, I've locked those in.
0: Okay. Any last words for you, Andy, for this episode?
4: Uh, I think I'm going to play the Legacy Challenge again on Sunday. I uh, played it last week with Miracles. Zero testing. Just popped out of Miracles list. And I top 16, which is not terrible. But, man, Legacy Miracles is a very easy deck. You just counter the things you can't beat, and then you terminus the rest. That's all you do. <laughs> so I'll probably play that exact deck uh, this weekend as well. I'm not allowed pre- to PTQ, so uh, another
0: uh, another person with uh, the the awesome awesome <laughs> recent result, man. I, I'm ecstatic. I'm ecstatic to follow you for uh, the, the the Mythic Championship you end up playing. I uh, tweeted this. I know this is a Magic podcast, but I, I tweeted this out that I think. Teamfight Tactics might be the best game I've played in ages. Um, I feel since Diablo two, and I, I can't wait. Uh, if some of you listeners play, add me in KYT Magic. I hope to play against Elliot Andy when whenever we connect. Usually it's like when I'm playing with friends, they're usually in game, and then it's like it might take twenty minutes. Uh, I don't want like sometimes we don't feel like waiting for each other, so we never end up playing. But uh, yeah, TFT, it's the nut, it's the nut. But I'll be back. I'll be back if Tangram ships me a standard deck. That's well. There's already a standard deck that's broken with a Boreal Grazer that Andy has helped me out with. So I'm going to play Andy's list. You think it's still good, right, Andy? As things,
4: have things Doc, changed? I have a list cooking right now, and I'll tell you what, it's ready.
0: All right. All right. It's ready. It's ready. It's ready. Love you, everyone. Make sure um, to support uh, Esports Central. Uh, who who's graciously offered their streaming room uh, today for me to stream out of, to have this more professional looking backdrop and everything. I appreciate their, t- um, their time and letting me do this. FaceFaceGames.com. There are MCQs. There's one in Montreal in August 24th, and there's another one September 14th in Toronto. Of course, it's Face Games. I, I don't run the tournaments, but they're always awesomely run. And, um, uh, Never hear any bad things said about them. So if you want to qualify and you're in the area, August twenty-four in Montreal, September fourteen in Toronto. And this upcoming Saturday, uh, Esports Central is hosting an event um, called Heart vs. the Gathering, Mixing Up, Hearthstone, vs MTG Arena. Uh, definitely check this place out. Um, if you're a fan of any digital games, League of Legends, you can play TFT here. Fighting games. Uh, again, I said in the beginning of the show, the biggest esports place in Canada. They just opened recently, so they're doing a bunch of stuff to try to take it to the next level. And I hear there's uh, they made a small announcement that there's going to be a team fight tactics tournament uh, in in mid August. So maybe I'll, I'll see Elliot there. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm to finish this podcast for sure, Warren. I think that's you, Warren. Um, shout I to everyone now uh, checking it out? Check us out and um, yeah, like, subscribe on any podcast app and I will see you next week. Ciao guys, ciao everyone.